have your Bible, let's go to Proverbs 29, verse 18. And I'm going to read this to you in the Message Bible. And I, I like this version. Um, well, I, I mean, I like the Message Bible, but I like this particular interpretation of the Scripture. It says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. Most blessed. Not just blessed, not just empowered to prosper, but you are most blessed. Which makes it sound almost as if it's very special. Even, even higher than just a regular blessing. So, so that's what I want to see today. Said when we attend to what he reveals, the key word in this entire verse right here is reveals. Now, God can't reveal anything to you unless he is talking to you. He can't reveal anything to you until you're actually listening to him. See, having a conversation is a two-way street. It requires participants, active participants. And typically, during a conversation, what is, what is exchanged? Information. Typically, guidance or direction or leadership or, or anything of that nature happens when you have that conversation. When I want to know the answer to something or if I have a question, I have to first ask the question. And then the answer is what? Revealed to me. So I can have that question for as long as I want, but until I have that conversation to ask the question, then my answer can't be revealed to me. What God wants to do for you is to reveal himself to you. Every aspect of himself he wants to unfold almost like, like an onion. Just peel back each layer, layer by layer by layer, so you can see exactly everything that he is made up of. Because when you understand everything that God is made of, then you'll understand everything that you're made of. Hmm. So attending to his revelation brings about blessing and greatness in your life. Let's go to Habakkuk chapter 2. And we like Habakkuk. And last week we had read this in several different versions, but what I want to do today is read this to you in the Message Bible. I'm going to be kind of using that uh, translation a lot today, so you'll have to forgive me if I'm uh, moving past you, but I don't, I don't think you will. So Habakkuk chapter 2, I'm going to start in the second verse. It says, and God answered, write this, write what you see, write it out in big block letters so that it can be read on the run. This vision message is a witnessing point to what is coming. It aches for the coming. It can hardly wait. So God's vision for your life can't hardly wait to come true for you. And it does not lie. If it seems slow in coming, wait. It's on the way. It will come and be right on time. Now, here is something that I want you to look at here. Verse 4 and verse 5. says, look at this man, bloated by self-importance, full of himself, but soul empty. Wow. Minister Wellington likes that she says this line all the time about your soul not being straight. That's right. when, you, when, you read this, when you read this verse, 
in the King James and the Amplified, it says, your soul is not straight. Which means that here, at some point in time, we saw the vision being put out there. But you have this particular person in this passage here who wants the vision, but wants to do it by his own means and measure. God is calling this person a perverted person. He is soul empty. You are soulless if you think that you can get the greatness of God without actually having God. It ain't going to happen. But here, if you continue to read, it says, But the person in right standing before God, through loyal and steady believing, is fully alive. Really alive. Verse 5 continues to talk about the rich, the arrogant rich. They don't last. It said, They are more hungry for wealth than the grave is for cadavers. Now that's an interesting phrase. That that person is more hungry for wealth than the grave is for cadavers. The grave only has one job, and that's to collect dead people. That's right. That's its job. That's all it does, day and night. So now, if you are this self-important person that wants God's greatness, but is willing to do it at your own devices, you will be much like the grave, but you will never be fulfilled. Never, ever, ever be fulfilled. Because enough will never be enough for you. And what will happen is eventually, you thought that you could achieve all of this, you will fail miserably, and then the world will taunt you. That's right. Because you thought you could get what God had without God. And because of that, you are now left to ridicule. See, I want to be great, not in my own greatness. I want to be great in God's greatness. See, and I think what these two verses here are telling us is that we need to really, really think about our priorities. What God wants for you is for his vision to come to fruition in your life. But it is going to require you to be in a right position with an upstanding spirit. To receive from him. That's right. Let's go to Ezekiel. And I find this interesting in Ezekiel. Ezekiel is prophesying to the children of Israel, as he does, because that's what his job is. In Ezekiel chapter 12, Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 22. And we're going to read now in the verse 25. It says, Son of man, what is this proverb that you have in the land of Israel, saying, The days drag on and every vision comes to nothing and is not fulfilled? So the children of Israel are saying this out loud. Like, God, I'm tired of waiting on you. Your vision is not coming to me. It is of no importance to me any longer. And I'm just going to cave in and quit. Mm. Basically, what they're saying here is that we'll never be fulfilled trusting you, God. Mm. Hmm. See, that happens when you start to believe, but then you waver. Right. You are openly saying, God, you know what? 
What you said doesn't matter. I don't believe you. So I'm just going to do it my own way. So verse 23 says, Tell them therefore, thus saith the Lord God. Sounds like he's a little bit annoyed at this point. Says, I will put an end to this proverb and they shall use it no more as a proverb in Israel. Said, I'm not handling this any longer. But say to them, the days are at hand and the fulfillment of every vision. For there shall be no more any false, empty, and fruitless visions or flattering divination in the house of Israel. For I am the Lord. I will speak, and the word that I shall speak shall be performed and come to pass. It shall be no more delayed or prolonged, for in your days, O rebellious house, I will speak the word and will perform it, saith the Lord God. This is a rebuke to those folks who decided to doubt God. What he is saying today in the house is, listen to me. The days of your prayers not being answered are over. The vision that I have given to you and birthed inside your heart will come to pass. It is all dependent upon you and your faith and your trusting in me. Yes. See, so when we talk about God's greatness, we really have to look at ourselves as, am I doing everything that I can to receive what God actually has for me? So, Lord, what am I doing that's stopping your hand from moving freely and openly in my life? So whatever it is, remove it. Because I want to have everything that you have for me. When you read Habakkuk in the Amplified, it says that you have to live through your faith. Living in and out of your faith. Not your faith in yourself, but your faith in who? And in your faithfulness. See, it's one thing to say, yes, I have faith today. But it's something completely different to say, I have faith for today tomorrow, the day after, the day after that, and I will continue to have faith even when it looks like it's not going to work out for me. See, that's faithfulness. See, because we are great at starting, but we're terrible at finishing. And what God is saying, just like he said to the children of Israel in Ezekiel, it is time for you to finish. I've equipped you to be great. He is begging, pleading, for you to embrace your birthright as great people. All right. You don't believe me? Let's look at it. Let's go to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. I'm not going to tell the media department that they haven't started my clock yet, so we still have 25 more minutes. Yes! That is a win for me. So Genesis chapter 1. I shouldn't have tipped you off, man. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And we're going to read 26, 27, 28. Okay, we're going to read this in the Amplified Bible. Because, wow, that's pretty good. Because I want you to understand that this is establishing our birthright. This is establishing your greatness already. Much like a father 
would be very disappointed in his children if this father has given to his children every single tool to use to make them great and impact the world. And that child, in turn, squanders that opportunity. Would be very, very, very disappointed. Yeah. I had a very, a very similar conversation like that with my father a long, long, long time ago. Before I wasn't a knucklehead. Well, wait. Before I wasn't as much of a knucklehead. But it was clearly this. Listen, you were created for great things. That's right. And I need you to understand that this is what you were created for. That's right. So operate that way. My grandmother, God bless her, would always tell me, do you know what it means to be a wedding tent? Now, for me, as a little person, I had no idea what that meant. But her shining example showed me exactly what that meant. To be an upstanding person. To be someone full of character. To be loving, to be caring, and most importantly, to be a giving person. I said, okay. So those examples were clearly laid out for me. said, and that's how you were born and created. So she laid out my birthright for me. This is what it means to act this way. So in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, he's doing the same thing here. It says, God said, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make mankind in our image after our likeness, and let them have complete authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the tame beast, over all of the earth and over everything that creeps upon the earth. So we know that. That sounds pretty good. We like that. We like this right here. He says, I love knowing the fact that I've been born and bred and created in God's image. That's fascinating to me. I hear that and I get excited because, wow, he looks just like me. So he's short and kind of wide. That's great. That's fabulous. I love that. And he's given me complete authority. So verse 27 says, so God created man in his own image. And in the image and likeness of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So he didn't leave out my wonderful sisters, cousins, aunts, mothers. You guys are great too. If you didn't know, I'm telling you right now. He created you with greatness also. Verse 28 says, And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it using all of its vast resources and the service of God and man. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves upon the earth. So, that's a lot to read. Man. So you see what he is telling you here. He said, You were created in my image. Last time I checked, God was pretty awesome, right? God doesn't make any junk. No flaws, no defects, nothing. Right? We're all agreed on that? So if God himself is great in every aspect of his life, and he created you just like him, what does that mean about you? Sister Pat, what'd you say today? You were what? Certified Certified awesome. That sounds like certified awesome to me. Does it sound like certified awesome to you? So if that's the case, then bless God, why don't we act like it? I mean, when I was a knucklehead, my father had to kick me in the butt to get me in line. So no, that's not how we act. This is what we do. Just like Ezekiel with the children of Israel said, hey, no, 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 you're messing up. This is how we're supposed to act. When God gives you a word, that means it's supposed to happen in your life. 
when he gives you a vision, that means it has to come to fruition. So that means your job should be to believe, receive, and expect it to happen all of the time. That's right. Which means that I was literally formed in greatness. Every single thing about me, about you, should scream greatness. Like we talked about last week with Habakkuk, about living an open lifestyle, being a billboarder, a walking advertisement for God's greatness. That's what our life should be. Right? Right? Man. So, so that's where we need to be. Go with me real fast to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verse 3, in the Amplified, says, By faith we understand that the worlds, during the successive, successive ages, were framed, fashioned, put in order, and equipped for their intended purpose by the word of God, so that what we see was not made out of things which are visible. So there's a couple things that are happening here. In Genesis 1 and 26 to 28, he is showing you how he literally made you in his image. From soup to nuts, just like God. Hebrews 11 is saying that when he conceived you and made you, fashioned you, put everything in order for you, and equipped you for your intended purpose. So when you were conceived and you came down the chute and you became a visitor a resident of this planet, God had already had an intended purpose for your life. So you cannot say, well, you know, maybe it's just not for me. Or, you know, I, I'm okay just, you know, being status quo. Nonsense. That's heresy, I say. Because right here, clearly, it says, I want you to be just like me. And when I made you, I made you with a specific purpose. So every single person in here has a vision. Yes. Now, we read in Genesis, and we talked about subduing and dominating. Mm -hmm. That sounds fantastic. That sounds like a vision that I want for us, right? That he wants for you. But guess what? That is not the vision that God called for you. You know why? Because you were made that way. You were made that way. So this is not something that I want you to aspire to. I'm making you this way. When Adam was placed in the Garden of Eden, he was already made great. He already had that power already. And he operated in that power. Now, here's the thing, and I don't want to get too deep on but Adam didn't have to use faith at that time. You know why? Because he had a direct connection with God. He already knew this is what he said, so it's got to be true. He had deep insight. He just operated in what God told him to do. See, there was no reason for him to doubt. So he literally was faith. So we have already set the foundation that this is how you were created to be. Okay? Now, you will read 
in Isaiah, and it talks about how you were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. And, you know, that verse sounds very scary. But it's true. I mean, because after Adam and the fall, then every single person that came through, now it was required for you to use your faith to operate the way God wanted you to. Yes. Because Adam lost his priorities, stopped seeing God as number one, started seeing himself, and then what happened? He fell apart. See, Adam got power drunk on the fact that God made him great. Look, I'm naming animals. I'm subduing. I'm dominating. I'm having a grand old time. But his priority wasn't right. And when he severed his connection with God, much like some of the believers that we know, sever their connection with God because, you know, it's not happening for me fast enough. I can't see it moving. And when that happens, then you get bupkis. Nada. Zip. Zero. Goose egg. You have nothing happening in your life. Because now you've decided to try to do it on your own. Yeah. And clearly you can't. No, you can't. Clearly you cannot have God's greatness in your life by your own hand. What sense does it make for the creation to think it's better than the creator? Hey, buddy. Doesn't work, does it? The creation should aspire to be like the creator. That's right. But the creation will never overtake the creator. You know why? Because he's the creator. That's right. Think about this. There was nothing that created God. He always has been. Always has been. Always. So he's the only precedent. There's nothing else that will come better than he is. That's right. So if that's the case, and that's how we should be, then we should embrace our natural heritage and actually operate the way God wants us to operate. That's right. God sees you as great, so be great. Yeah. So be great. Yeah. Said, so, okay, so Lord, all right, you, you've given me a basic vision. You've read, you've read here in Genesis all the tools that you've been given so that you can accomplish that vision. So how do I obtain it? What is your specific vision for my life? How do, how do I get it? Like, it's great. We've been talking about this, you know, for two Sundays now about needing a vision. Okay, what is it? Well, let's go and look. Let's go and see. And when I tell you what the vision is and the purpose of it, I'm telling you, it, it's, it's not what you think. It's not what you think. So if you have your Bible, let's see. You know, I'm... I don't want to go there yet. I don't want to go there yet. I want to talk to you about a concept um, that I actually just literally just learned about. It's called manifest destiny. Now, technically, it's a historical term. And if you decide you want to go and, and look it up, you can. Google it. Google's great. But basically, manifest destiny was a phenomenon that happened here in the United States. Basically, everyone at one point in time believed that God told them to go and acquire more for themselves. Every single person. That's how the West was expanded. That's how you come up with California and all those other states. People decided, you know what, God has given me a provision and a purpose to go and do. So that's what I want to go and do. You know, and it's actually a real concept because when you read Genesis 1 and when you read Hebrews 11, you actually hear that concept 
in what the scriptures are saying. That God has decided that I am predestined and preordained for greatness. And it is up to you to unlock that in your life. Now, we already showed Adam as that, per, that first example of someone operating in his greatness. But it's going to take more for you to unlock that in your life. See, all Adam had to do was walk in it until he screwed it up. Didn't take him long. I'm not going to say it was his wife's fault. But there is an argument to be made there. But I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to do that. So manifest destiny, I'm going to give you this definition. It is a divine destiny under God's direction to accomplish a specific task. It's your destiny under God to do his work. Who wants to have manifest destiny actually manifest in their lives? I do. I want to. Get to a place where, God, you know what? I want you to do everything you can through me so that I can do your will, your work, your way in this earth. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to read this to you in the Message Bible. So, Philippians chapter 3, verse 15. And actually, let's go with 15. Yeah. We'll go with 15. We'll back up to 14 in a minute. Said, so let's keep focused on that goal. Those of us who want everything God has for us. If any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. Now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. So what is the goal? What's the goal? Let's just, can you give me verse 14, media, if you can? And you know, and maybe, let me, let me read it to you in this version so you understand what we're talking about here. So in the King James says this in verse 14, that I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So that's the goal. That's the goal. When you read it here in the Message Bible, I like this version. It says, I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. You're not turning back on what? I'm not turning back on God. So by no means do I count myself an expert in all this, but I've got my eye on the goal, where God is beckoning us onwards towards Jesus. I am off and running, and I am not turning back. So here we have now started to see some commitment level. Lord, I want your vision for my life. Your vision for me is greatness for me, so that's what I want. How do I get that? I need to press towards the prize of the mark of the high calling. I need to get my priorities straight. 
I need to have my vision clear and focused on him and him alone. See, I know what God said about me for me. You need to figure out what God is saying to you about you. See, now last week we talked about having a basic baseline vision. Things that God wants all of us to accomplish. But there is a specific task that he wants you to do. And it's going to take complete focus and commitment on your part to achieve that in your life. Yes, I want Manifest Destiny to become real for me. And it's going to require a Herculean effort on my part to make sure that I attend to his word. So that I can receive clear instruction. To bring about change that he's asking for. Hmm. Hmm. When you read Matthew chapter six, we you know we we know what Matthew chapter six verse thirty three says, right? Who wants to say it out for me out loud? And his righteousness and what all of these other things shall be added unto us. So Matthew here is even talking about priority also. But let's back this train up a little bit. If you're looking at Matthew 16, verse 19, and I'm going to read this in the Amplified, it says, Do not gather and heap up or store for yourselves treasure on earth. Hmm. But I like treasure on earth. That sounds pretty good. Heaping and storing treasure. That sounds pretty nice. Like, I, I might want that. But it says, Where moth and rust and worms consume and destroy, and where thieves break in to steal. I don't like that. I don't want that at all. But gather and heap up and store for yourselves treasures in heaven. Hmm. Where neither moth nor rust nor worm consume and destroy. And where thieves do not break through and steal. Verse 21 says this, and we know this, we say it all the time. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. So again, we are talking about priority. So I want you to get your soul right so that I can bless you. But if you have ulterior motives, then I can't show you my vision because you won't see my vision because everything that you're seeing is blurred and perverted and confused. How do I know that? Verse 22 says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is sound, your entire body will be full of light. But if your eye is unsound or perverted, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the very light in your conscience is darkened, how dense is that darkness? It's thick. It's heavy. Because you know what, Lord? I'm not seeing you in the proper perspective. I'm seeing you, Lord, as my personal ATM. I'm not seeing you as Lord and Savior. I'm not seeing you as creator, provider. I'm not seeing you as any of that. All I'm seeing you as is uh, a pyramid scheme. Lord, I'm not seeing you as my comforter. I'm not seeing you as that. I'm not seeing you as my healer. None of that. I don't want any of that. I don't want to even see you as my creator. I want to have an off-distance relationship with you, and that's all I'm willing to give you. And what I want in return is all of your blessing. 
That is an unsound eye. You see how weird that sounds and how disgusting on every single level that is. But that is what we do as believers every day when we don't have God as our complete focus in our lives. You continue to read through Matthew, and it talks about all of these things. You know, it talks about where are we going to eat? How are we going to get close? What are we going to do? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do all that? He said, now listen. He said, I take care of every single thing. It talks about the birds not having to sow or reap or gather, but yet they still eat. It talks about the lilies of the field. They don't have to worry about being clothed, but yet they're in the dawn in majesty. He said, all I want you to do is see me as me. See me as God. That's all I want from you. And in turn, I will give you all of those other things. Mm-hmm. Will me added also. That's right. Yeah. See, now, it talks about seeking first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, his way of doing and being right. Yeah. And we're going to have to get into this later on because I told you I ran through my time. Ephesians 3, 1 through, 21, 1 through 21, talks about the purpose for your vision. God wants you to be great, not because of you, but because of the person that you will encounter. Now, we know that when Jesus decided to leave this earth, when he was called back to heaven, he gave you a simple command. Preach and teach the word to all nations. Bring everybody back into the family. The purpose of you being a great human being on this planet is so that God's greatness can be seen by other people so that that vision can come to pass. Now, you may have a specific talent that's going to show someone how great you are. I don't know what that is, but God does. And think about this. If we don't embrace our greatness... When push comes to shove and that opportunity is there and that person that you are supposed to impact, yeah. you meet. But on that day, you're not walking in your greatness. On that day, you're walking in depression. On that day, you're just walking in mediocrity. On that day, you're walking in I feel sorry for myself. Mm-hmm. That person that you should have impacted will not have that choice to see God's greatness because you as a believer chose not to believe and walk in God's plan for your life. As a parent, I need to be the best example for my children Mm -hmm. so that they can understand this is what you are supposed to do so that I can teach them how to act in the world. You ever see kids that are unruly running around and say, man, they don't have any home training? Well, that's exactly right. They don't have any home training. See, they didn't have Sandra back there telling them this is how you're supposed to act, right? right. You see them out there acting crazy. See, they didn't have Dora and Lynn smack them around. Saying, hey, get it together. See, they didn't have Dot. That's right. Saying, no, this is how you're supposed to act. That's right. And as believers, we're not listening to our Heavenly Father who's trying to tell you, hey, this is what I have for you. I need you to be great so that you can impact other people. That's right. God's vision for you is his greatness for you 
And his greatness is for you and every other person that you meet. You read here in Matthew, it talks about being full of light. Because your eye was sound and focused on God. Yes. So, if I am full of light and I'm focused on God, what do lights do? They shine. Sure. They illuminate. Yeah. They make things clearer. If you can't see something and it's dark, you turn on a light. That's you operating in your greatness. In your homes, in your marriage, in your jobs, at school, in your relationships. Oh, things aren't going right? Oh, wait. I'm great. I have a light. Let me show you. Let me show you guys greatness and how his greatness will affect the situation. That is what he wants. That's right. That's right. God's greatness for you is about carrying out his ultimate plan on this earth here. And the moment that we buy into it, Everything else will fall into place. Hmm. I have one more Sunday to get to you. And we are going to talk about this a little more. Because if the enemy can distort your vision... If he can trick your eye into seeing something that's not there, or if he can get you to look someplace else, you'll miss your opportunity. And today, God doesn't want you to miss your opportunity. He wants you to embrace that opportunity. He wants you to be in that proper position, not only to receive, that's great to receive, but the proper position to impact someone else's life. God's greatness is all of his children coming back into the family. Yeah. Ephesians talk about being united as one body. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. Now, if you don't want that, that's fine. That's okay. Mm -hmm. But I guarantee you, God's greatness will not rest in your heart. That's right. It will not light upon your life Mm. if you don't have the same priority as him. That's right. So if you want to serve God to get rich, it's not going to work. If you want to serve God just for some self-serving measure, it's not going to work. If you want to come to church and worship and praise him because you want to worship and praise him, then that's the proper thought. Yes. That is showing him living out loud that, yes, I can trust that sister. Yes. I can trust that brother yes. with my greatness Thank you, Lord. because he wants to make everyone else great also. Yes. I don't want to be a drag. I want to be the life of the party. We read it before. It says, when you have him living inside of you, you are really living. A life full of life. So today, when you walk out of this place, we already understand the purpose for God's vision. I want you to understand it and actually start to walk in that so that you can do what he actually called you to do see when you're focused on God that means you're free I mean there's nothing else holding you back he wants you to get free today let's get free today let's shake off all of these other things that are binding you and keeping you back so just cut them loose said I'm looking for a free people 
that will worship me, that will trust me and serve me, that have a fire for me, that can't wait to get into the building to be with me. That's who he's looking for. Is that person you?